Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Good morning dear friends and saunterers, welcome to another saunter. Today we are in the book of John again and we're looking at Jesus through the eyes of his best friend. And so this is an incredible eyewitness account of the life of Jesus from someone who knew him really, 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 really intimately. And John gives us lots of additional bits of insight, little bits of commentary. He kind of shoves in there and he explains things. And we end up having some massive theological um, kind of revelations and insights into Jesus and his purpose, his identity and so on. So let's pray. We're in chapter eight today. Lord, we welcome you into our homes. We welcome you into our lives today. Lord, speak to us, give us insight, give us clarity, give us faith, give us joy and that wonderful excitement of your Holy Spirit inside us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Pat and Mike. Good morning, Fran. Great to see you all. Um, So we're in chapter eight today, John's Gospel. And verse one, it says, and they went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now, in the law of in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? <clears throat> they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman. Good morning, Anne and Deepak. Good morning, you guys. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing be- before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. <clears throat> this is a massively, massively famous story of Jesus with this woman who's caught in the act of adultery, literally peeled away from the guy. The guy does a runner, typical. And uh, so the woman is brought, really, she's supposedly the um, guilty person. But of course, it takes two to do that kind of thing. And so the guy has escaped and really there isn't much in the way of corroborating evidence because it does take two people to be guilty of adultery. Um, However, what they're doing is they're appealing to the law of Moses and they're saying they're putting Jesus in this tight spot and saying, Jesus, you know the law. 
This woman was caught in the act of adultery and Moses says that such a person should be stoned. Well, the the custom of the day had been, this kind of law had fallen into a bit of disuse really because it was (laughs) particularly difficult to prove that someone was actually committing adultery because they could have just been in bed together but not doing anything or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm sure our imaginations can work it out that it's got to be pretty clear cut to prove beyond reasonable doubt that a couple have been guilty. And then to just, this is a charade, it's a show trial. It's not even a real trial, it's a kind of lynch mob. And they're putting Jesus on the spot and trying to catch him out to see whether he's going to back up the law of Moses because he claims to be completely in agreement with the scripture or whether he's going to buckle and show mercy to this woman because he can't bear the thought of a public lynch mob stoning her to death in front of him. So... Jesus is on the spot and I think most of us who've read this will have this wonderful, wonderful, joyful respect for Jesus as we see how he handles it. Because he doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't do any of the things that we might expect him to do. He literally kind of sidesteps everything and yet deals with it perfectly. Well, he would because he's God. But just the elegance of Jesus in this moment, I love it. And I find it really, really challenging. And so I think I'll I'll just talk a little bit about this story and then try and make some conclusions from it. Um, They're trying to trap him, number one. This isn't for real. This This is a horrible plot. And Jesus, of course, knows that. They're trying to get him trapped by what he says and does and then bring the law against him or accuse him of you know his failures in one way or the other Jesus kind of diffuses the immediate tension which requires almost it seems to be begging for a definite yes or no well she's guilty then stoner kind of response and he just plays for time and we see Jesus bending down, drawing in the dust on the ground. And it's just wonderfully whimsical, really, because he's not taking the whole issue head on. He's actually just defusing the situation, which I think is a great little lesson for us when we're put on the spot. Let's let's try to somehow just defuse a situation, try and reduce the heat of the moment if you like and just get some um, time to reflect and I'm sure Jesus wasn't taken by surprise by any of this he knew it was gonna he knew it was happening he knew it was probably he probably knew it was going to happen Um, but there in that moment he's also playing for time and I'm sure he's having this little inner conversation with the father with the holy spirit and just saying here we go (laughs) and he's navigating as well and so he's drawing on the ground and then um, then he makes this incredible statement. He says, let the let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. And the commentators tell us that the without sin implies without the similar sin, without a similar sin issue of adultery. Now, we know Jesus has said in the other gospel accounts that Anyone who looks at a woman with lust in their heart 
has committed adultery with her and we could flip that over and we could say anyone who looked at a man with lust in her heart you know it it's not exclusively men towards women where the sin of adultery happens but Jesus is saying listen the origin of adultery comes from your heart it's it's the breaking of the commandment you shall not covet even when we look at someone who is not our spouse and we lustfully desire to be with them and to or to go beyond a just a kind of oh I've noticed you we're now kind of fantasizing entering into fantasies about that person that whole journey of lust in the mind Jesus says is adultery and actually it's it's where the whole act of adultery comes from so he what Jesus is doing is he's going deeper than the superficial so he's created this little bit of space where he's in control the 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 lynch mob are not in control of the situation anymore Jesus is completely in control and now he's going deeper and he's turning his like pure laser clear gaze in those eyes can you imagine having the eyes of Jesus looking at you and saying all right if you're innocent throw the first stone can you imagine him just looking round the, the group of guys and just catching I'm sure people would avert their gaze and look away and then gradually one by one by one they walk away because they know they know they're guilty of the same sin in at least internally if they've never um, even if they've never acted it out with someone else's wife and so it says starting with the older ones they kind of left and peeled off and went away and Jesus is left alone with the woman isn't that a beautiful kind of thing that the accusers just peel off and I think so many times that this is where we are with Jesus we're full of the enemy is accusing us and bringing charges against us and full of kind of condemnation and you failed in this respect you're bad because of this and we're like oh yeah I know I know I'm guilty I'm guilty you know and, and all the rest of it and then there's that moment where we look we realize we're alone with Jesus and Jesus says where is your accuser and we can say do you know what he's gone and Jesus says I don't accuse you either go and sin no more I don't condemn you either so he says woman where are they has no one condemned you and she said no one Lord and Jesus Jesus said neither do I condemn you go and from now on sin no more now apparently that you'll see some notes in your bible probably saying that these few verses are not contained in the earliest manuscripts and some of some of the commentators tell us that some of the old kind of church fathers didn't like this because it kind of made it kind of was a story that seemed to um suggest that Jesus was condoning adultery well of course he's not he's not said she shouldn't be punished he's he's just saying I don't condemn you go away and sin no more in fact the very fact that Jesus refers to it as sin is an indication of what Jesus believes about the action of adultery do you know what I mean so he's not saying 
Oh, it's all right. I understand. You've you're you've got mitigating circumstances. I I realize you. Maybe she's a prostitute. Maybe she's got no money. Maybe she's poor. I don't know. We don't know. We can only speculate why she was committing adultery with this guy, or why they were in the act of adultery. It may have been her living. She may have just been like so many on the cusp of temptation, caved in. And yet Jesus is not condoning it in any way. He's not making any allowances for that sin. He's not saying, oh, I understand you've had a hard life. I understand you've been abused when you were a child. He's not saying any of those things. He's not saying, I understand you need to earn a living and this is all the opportunities open to you. He's saying, go away. Don't do it anymore. Sin no more. And he's very, very clear from now on, sin no more. Now, Jesus would not say sin no more if it was not possible for this woman to sin no more. Do you understand? So he's not asking her or commanding her to do something that's impossible. And when God brings, when Jesus comes into our lives and it's just us and Jesus, and we're in that moment and he's driven away our accuser, he's taken the punishment for our sin on himself, he doesn't say, right now, Paul, you're forgiven. Do you just carry on, son? Just live how you want to live, man. You know, and it's okay. He's actually saying, Paul, sin no more. I've forgiven you. I've taken the hit for you. In fact, in this situation, Jesus doesn't really take the hit for this woman in the actual story. But we know that a few chapters on, Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to pay for that woman's sin personally himself so that he truly can give her real forgiveness and absolution from her sin so he really can say you are absolutely free you're absolutely condemned no more I don't condemn you he because he is going to pay for that himself and when he comes into my life he doesn't come into my life to say it's okay Paul for you to carry on sinning I don't condemn you He's actually coming into my life to say, listen, Paul, I have forgiven you. I have personally paid the price. I have carried your sin to the cross myself. I was there when it happened. I did it for you. This is what Jesus, this is what the cross is all about. And this is what this story really is telling us. Jesus is able, Jesus is not condoning the sin. He's saying, actually, I've paid for it. I've covered it. Now, go and sin no more. And so when God when God commands us not to sin anymore, he is not asking us to do something that we can't do, but he gives us his grace, his power. That grace is a gift. He gives us his gift to live a different way from now on. So when Jesus comes into our lives, we call it repenting. We repent, we turn around 180 degrees. We're no longer living in sin to please ourselves, but we're living in him to please him. And his righteousness, his loveliness, his goodness comes on to us and he gives us the power and the strength to live an entirely different order of life, which is wonderful, isn't it? So Jesus is not condoning sin. He's not saying adultery is fine. Just, you know, try not to get caught by some religious people because you'll get in trouble. None of that. He's actually saying it's sin. But now my power is at work in you. You don't have to do that anymore. So verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. <laughs> Jesus answered, well, one minute they're asking him who he thinks he is. Hey, hey, Alistair. One minute they're asking Jesus who he thinks he is. Next minute they're telling him off for telling them who he thinks he is, which is typical of people who don't like you, who just want to trip you up at every point. Whatever Jesus says, he's in trouble, isn't he? So he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. <clears throat> Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. One second, let's just pause there. Right, once again, Jesus is saying to these guys, you are judging by the flesh, you're just using your natural, fleshly, human senses and perceptions to try and work it all out. We've already heard him say a couple of days ago, he said, the 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 flesh counts for nothing the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing the flesh isn't a help at all is no help at all in understanding who jesus is and jesus is saying you're you're not going to get there by using your human reasoning you're not going to work it out by your fleshly mindset he says and but he says actually i do know who i am i know where i came from i know where i'm going i know what i'm doing and he says, so my judgment is true. And in any case, it's not just me kind of endorsing myself, but the father is endorsing me, the one who sent me. I am the father. So it's not I. And then he says, he makes this statement in verse 16, which I want to just kind of try and understand because it seems contradictory in a second. I'll explain why. He says, verse 16, Yeah, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true, and I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. <clears throat> These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I just want to try and understand this. Jesus says, I don't judge anyone. Where he says, where is it? He says, I judge no one, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the father who sent me. Well, he just said in a previous chapter that the father is giving it for the son to judge everyone to judgment. He is, he says in, in chapter five, verse 22, the father has given all judgment to the son. And so it seems like Jesus is kind of seems to be saying, yeah, he has given me all, all, all judgment. He has entrusted all judgment to me. But I think what Jesus is saying right now in this moment, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to, redeem you i'm here to do something else 
but there will come a time when I do judge. And actually, if I do judge, my judgment is right anyway. In fact, going back to the story that we've just been looking at, the only person in that group of men assembled there with that woman who is actually legitimately able to judge or in whom there was no sin of adultery, even in a tiny little speck in his heart, it was Jesus. He was the only person there who really could say, I can, I can throw the first stone, actually. I can actually condemn you. But he's not condemning her because he's paying for her. See, do you, do you understand? There's a timing. Jesus at this time, this period of his ministry is not there to bring a judgment, although he kind of does just by showing up and he does bring that clarity into people's thinking. But this is not his time to bring the ultimate judgment of on the whole world. But there will come a time when the father is appointed, when the son will judge everyone who's ever lived. And then his judgment is going to be beyond question. It's going to be beyond reproach, beyond question, absolutely pure and clear and sharp like a laser. And he says, you know, just get this straight. Um, so stop arguing the toss about who I am and where I come from. He said, if you actually you knew my father, which you claim to do because you claim to be followers of God. If you were, you would know me. Because actually, um, if you knew me, you would know my father also. And so these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And there's very clear a, a kind of progression of things Jesus has got to get done before his hour is come to be handed over to those who will crucify him. But even then, that's still only part of the process that's going on here, isn't it? That Jesus is still going to be raised from the dead after that. He's still going to be sending the Holy Spirit after that. And he's still going to be coming in glory to judge the whole world after that. So we've still got some things that Jesus is doing right now that he's still working through. And he says, you know, my time has not yet come for this, but it will come. So all the things that Jesus has spoken of will surely come just as the ones have already that we, we know of so well. I really, really hope I haven't confused everyone and made that more complicated than it needed to be. It's just understanding really that Jesus is on a mission. He's got some things to do and they follow after each other one by one. And he can't be coerced and nudged and pushed and cornered into doing something before the time. But also, here's the wonderful takeaway from today is that Jesus has paid. And so when we st when our accusers stand around us, we just need to wait for that moment where it's just us catching the eyes of Jesus. And he says, where is your accuser? Does anyone condemn you? I don't condemn you. Thank you, Alistair. You're very kind to me. Have an amazing day, you guys, and be blessed. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you that you've paid for my deepest, darkest, horriblest, yuckiest sin. And you call me your friend today. Amen. Have an amazing day.